uh, 6. And um, then if you would, remain standing for our uh, final hymn following after that. Uh, the Lord is my helper is the uh, title of the message uh, later tonight. So Hebrews chapter 13, as we have uh, been preaching through the book of Hebrews and just coming to the last uh, chapter and the closing thoughts of our Apostle Paul. And uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 6. If you'd follow along while I read. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I have one last counseling session with them. It's the, the one on the more intimate uh, parts of marriage. And so I want to save that, I said, till the last there. I don't want to get uh, uh, into too much detail there until you're right ready to be married. So uh, for, for the Bible says right here, marriage is honorable uh, and un, un all and the bed undefiled. So I thank God for that. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But I told them, let's wait for that one until the week before. So, all right. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, them being married. Uh, we're going to, they're going to use our property uh, there and have an outside wedding. So we'll see how that goes with uh, you and me and them and the ants. So, and the other kind of ants. Uh, so we'll see about that. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, the Lord is my helper. Go back to your, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, let's spend a few minutes with uh, our brother Apostle. He's um, giving us some real practical advice, counsel, and direction here as uh, he wraps things up. Uh, some of us respond well to principles and precepts from the Bible. We like, to, uh, we like to research the scriptures and find biblical principles, precepts, and find uh, how that those apply and work in our lives. And so uh, some like to look at the principles and precepts of the scriptures. Others prefer to see examples in scripture. They like to see examples of, well, there's examples both ways. There's examples of what to do and examples of what not to do. You know, uh, as far as canoeing goes, we can give you some good examples of <laughs> what not to do, you know. Uh, so, uh, but uh, people like that from the Bible. Some like to look at, at the scriptures from the standpoint of, here's uh, some good men and here's what they did. Here's some women of God uh, that... Uh, uh, served the Lord and loved the Lord. Here's what they did, and so I want to follow that example. And then here's some individuals who uh, gave us examples that we want to avoid. You know what we we do as well, learning what not to do is what to do. So uh, some like that uh, aspect of their Bible study. Others, you know, want uh, they prefer like just a straightforward, practical instruction and application. They're you know they're more on that. Uh, on that wavelength, so to speak, and they're not so philosophical and not so theoretical, not so about principles and precepts and so on. They want to they just say, uh, you know, give me the, lay it out clear for me so I can understand it, get it, and apply it to my life. And so there are those that uh, like to have that aspect of 
you know, the, uh, the application of Scripture. But we need it all. We need all aspects of it. We need the principles. We need the precepts. We need the examples, good and bad. We need the practical application given to us in those things. But that's where we're at here, and that's what we're looking at here. When we were at the uh, couples retreat, uh, Brother Sam Brock was our, uh, our teacher, our preacher, and he is an individual who likes to, you know, do this kind of, of, um, of teaching, preaching. He likes to give us real practical, helpful things that uh, are, are just good for us as couples, as a family, so forth. And so he, you know, preached the word and he, we opened the scriptures and uh, he went through the scriptures with us. But he spent some of the time, in fact, he started the sessions, each session with just a lot of practical thoughts that uh, would be helpful to us as couples. Uh, we wrote a lot of them down there, and they were just good things. He, one of the things he said was establish traditions. He's talking about in his young, younger, uh, in his earlier in his marriage, about establishing traditions and, uh, and having things that you just do year after year after year as a couple, and then as a family, as your children grow. And he, uh, he discussed that for a little bit and established traditions. And we all thought, that's good. That's real practical. We can, we can do that. You know, we can do that. Uh, Wendy and I are, are a little past establishing traditions. We're just, trying to, uh, we're just trying to remember all the traditions and keep them going, you know. So, uh, but uh, established, establishing traditions. And then he went on down and he said, but don't establish too many traditions. <laughs> and talked about how that they'd overdone it a little bit and had to, had to recognize that they were, they were going too far on that first on our first practical thought, and so don't establish too many. Another thing that he said is never say never mind, and he went into some detail about uh, how uh, the word never mind is a catch word that means you're in trouble of some sort, and you got to guess what it is. So uh, never say never mind. He said. Uh, he said this practical, just practical counsel, practical advice. Said when you come with a problem, also bring a possible. Uh, practical solution to the problem. That's a good piece of uh, counsel, a good piece of practical application of truth in the scriptures. All these things have a, have a precept or a principle behind them that you can find in the Bible, but it's nice to have someone just lay these things out and be able to say, this is something I've learned from the scripture, and here's a practical application of that. Uh, he said, uh, promote the positive in public, Deal with the negative in private. Good piece of counsel for a young couple, for you, Aaron, and and uh, uh, and for Alicia. Good piece of counsel. Uh, let's uh, let's do that. And, and in our in our relationships, let's do that. It's uh, important to deal with the positive in public. And and if there's negative, if there's things that you know are are uh, at cross purposes, and we have disagreements and so forth, we should deal with those in private. Should be good practical counsel. He said this. He said. Learn and live. Don't live and learn. <laughs> so that seems, uh, you know, very simple, but it's a profound thing. We talk about, well, live and learn, you know. Well, let's reverse that and say learn first and then live what we've learned. Yeah, good, good stuff. So Hebrews concludes with a series of similar exhortations like that. As we read it down through there, we saw some of them. We'll see more uh, in the next couple of weeks as we continue on in the 13th uh, uh, chapter. But we saw some good practical things that relate to, that are concerned with relationships. Relationships with our family, relationships with others, relationships with God as we go on down. But uh, relationships are discussed in the, uh, in, in the practical sense in the book of Hebrews in, in this 13th chapter. 
um, it talks about our personal conduct as well. Some of the uh, practical aspects of our personal conduct are there. So that, uh, you know, when we, when we apply these things and we get down to the, to the bottom of our, of our first section of practical applications, we're going to be able to say, the Lord is my helper. So first of all, consider what he says concerning our relationships toward others. He says in the first verse, let brotherly love continue. In our Sunday school class, we were talking about how Naomi and Elimelech went down into Moab, and they were going to sojourn there. But ends up, they didn't just sojourn there, they continued there. They stayed there 10 years, and a lot of things happened that didn't need to happen. Uh, but they stayed there, they continued there. And that wasn't a good thing for them to continue in Moab in the world when they belonged in Bethlehem, Judah, uh, under the care of the Lord and in the presence of the Lord's house and among God's people. And so we talked about that in our Sunday school class. Uh, they shouldn't have continued there. They shouldn't have continued there. But here's, uh, here's a, a situation where we should continue. Let brotherly love continue. And so, um, you know, we, we want to talk about that a little bit. Brotherly love. We, we don't use the term brother around here just because we can't remember your name sometimes. You know? <laughs> That is mighty convenient, sister or brother, you know. <laughs> Testimony time, and I'm looking at Andy there. Oh, what is his name? Oh, and, and brother, come on. <laughs> yeah, brother in the blue tie, you know. So it does help uh, sometimes for those of us who are struggling with uh, uh, lapses in memory, but uh, we don't just use the term brother or sister f to substitute for the name of the person. Uh, we use that term because we want to cultivate uh, brotherly love. We want to cultivate the sense that, yeah, this is something more than just a gathering of people, you know, someplace. We're, we're different from the crowd that's gathered at the theater tonight, you know. We're, we're different from the crowd that's gathered in a classroom in a school someplace tonight. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're unique in that. And so he says, let brotherly love continue. Let that be something that you emphasize, that you work on, brotherly love. I like it when we come to church and there's just a lot of chatter going on, a lot of talking, you know. I don't like it so much when I'm preaching, but, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, it's great to hear a lot of talking, a lot of visiting, carrying on, just enjoying uh, one another. And, and uh, it's, it's letting brotherly love continue. We're, we're trying to, uh, to encourage interest in, in one another's lives and well-being and welfare and the day-to-day -day challenges that we face, you know. Um, God is, is not anticipating that the only thing you can talk about at church is a, a passage of Scripture from the Bible and, and don't mention anything else, you know. Uh, you know, your life, your day-to-day -day life ought to be a life that's, uh, that's wrapped up in, in, the, in, in who the Lord is and what He does and what your life is uh, Monday through Friday and, and God's part in your life Monday through Friday and your challenges, your, uh, your trials, your sorrows, your victories, your... Uh, joys and those things are all are part of our lives. And so uh, brotherly love is about that. It's about that communication that needs to be there, you know, to know that, hey, you know, these folks are just like me and they're, uh, you know, we're, we're going through some of the same things and we have some of the same uh, weaknesses and the same uh, failings and we can encourage one another. So that's brotherly love continuing, you know, uh, important for us to, to understand that. Now, it's a good thing to get to know each other and get to know our names and our kids' names and our grandkids' names and 
uh, and that, you know, it's a good thing and an important thing. Uh, you don't need to go out and always just calling the others around you brother and sister. I mean, you, you want to put their name with that at some point, you know. So it's a good thing to learn, to, to work on that. And what was your name again? I find if I don't write it down, I've lost your name within two seconds after I get done talking with you. I can say, what's your name, Judy? And three seconds later, I can say, what was her name? <laughs> you know? And now I'm going around, I'm asking, you know, uh, people in the choir, what was, what was that person's name? I don't know, I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, it's good to, to work on that. I heard on the radio today a guy said that uh, if he, if he uh, verbally spells out someone's name, he never forgets it. Now, I've been trying that. It seems to work a little better. I remember Eric and Janet from this morning. They visited. Their names were Eric and Janet. And, Janet, and so I looked at it and I said, Eric, E-R-I-C? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, and Janet, is that J-A-N-E-T? Yeah, Janet. And of course, it's a little hard if they say, you say, what's your name? And they say, Bob. And you say, well, how do you spell that? You know, <laughs> so that's a little hard. You know, they think that's awkward, you know. But if they spell their name or if you say their name, the, the letters of their name out loud, it's uh, the, guy, the guy said, and I haven't, you know, practiced this too long, but the guy said that uh, it does. And I noticed that with Eric and Janet. I did remember it tonight, uh, what I learned this morning. So that's a record for me, I've, you know. <laughs> I've got to another service still remembering Eric and Janet this morning. Eric and Janet, are you here tonight? No, they're not here this evening, so they don't remember me. <laughs> but, but Eric and Janet, yeah. So uh, the idea of brotherly love has to do with that concept of, uh, of being interested in, in other people, being interested enough to learn a little bit about other people and Learn what their, you know, what their life is like, and what, where, where they work, and what kind of challenges they face, and uh, what the situation in their family is. Those are good things to learn. Um, the the emphasis there is in brotherly love is the emphasis on a family relationship. Romans twelve and verse ten puts it this way: It says, "Be ye kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another." Affection toward one another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. We tend to reverse apply this, don't we? We're saying, well, I hope so-and-so is, so -and -so is listening to that because they, they really need to prefer me, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we don't want to reverse apply that and wonder why people aren't preferring us above themselves. We need to apply that to ourselves and say, God help me to, in honor, prefer others uh, before myself. And so that's what the idea is of uh, brotherly love and uh, to do that. Then he goes on and says something else practical about toward others, really. He says uh, to entertain strangers. Entertain strangers? Does that mean i got to go down to the mall, corner somebody, and sing karaoke to them? <laughs> that's, you know, that's, no karaoke is entertaining, for one thing. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, that's not what it means to, you know, you know, do a song and dance uh, for somebody that you never met before. <laughs> that's not the idea at all. So what does it mean to entertain strangers? It refers to something that is, involves someone that's outside of your normal acquaintances. Strangers are people that you don't know yet. Uh, you're not familiar with them yet. So uh, entertaining strangers does involve putting oneself out there a little bit you know, and uh, doing that. So there's several ways that we can, we can do that. We can entertain strangers. I was talking to Kate uh, Kinnaman this morning, and she was 
relating to me an account of running into a, a lady that had three kids at, at an event where the kids were. I can't remember what it was. It was at a library or something. Um, and um, she got, they got talking, and, and so um, Kate, uh, you know, saw that there was some interest there in, in this uh, lady, maybe looking for a friend or something. So she put herself out a bit, and they began to uh, talk. And then Kate said, well, why don't you come over to the house, bring the kids, and, and uh, we'll visit a little bit. So she did. You know, the lady did. And they come to find out they were neighbors. They, they were at the, they met at the library, so, but they were neighbors. And so uh, she said, Pastor, it's an amazing thing. She said, I've been praying that God would, you know, open the doors for me to be able to uh, talk to my neighbors about the Lord. So here God brought me to the library, to this neighbor I didn't even know was my neighbor, uh, and, you know, near, nearby street, and, uh, and the door is open. So she got a chance to witness a bit, and uh, the, this uh, lady seems to be, you know, interested in, in uh, what she has to say about the scriptures. And so we're praying that uh, God would uh, do something with that. That is exactly what the scripture's talking about when it says, be careful to entertain strangers. For some have entertained angels unawares. Um, to entertain strangers is to enter into uh, a relationship with them uh, for, uh, for a higher purpose, you see. That's, uh, that's a good thing. You are doing that when you go out uh, with the cookie minister. Several of our ladies get together and they help us out with uh, visiting They'll take uh, first-time visitors that have indicated that they, you know, are interested in learning more about the church or something, and they'll bake up some cookies, and a couple of the ladies, or they'll maybe take a, one, of their, one or two of the children with, and they'll go to the home and just give them the cookies and say, We're glad you came, and any questions about the church, so forth like that. They use that uh, as an opportunity to encourage people to, uh, to uh, consider the Lord or the church, and so... That is certainly one of the fashions in which we entertain strangers. They don't know these people. It's not easy to go to somebody's house you don't know. It's a stranger to you. Don't know how you're going to be received or anything like that. And, and to uh, do that, uh, it's not easy to do that. We have another ministry, several of our people involved in, where we have new move-ins. And we go to the homes of new move-ins and uh, just knock on their door and tell them, welcome to town and invite, invite them to church, you know. And, that's never easy, but that's what it's talking about, entertain strangers, to uh, have an interest there in their lives, to get involved with that. You do that with the jail ministry, men that are going to the jail ministry. You guys that are going to the military ministry, you're doing that. These are strangers to you. These kids are not known to you, and you're not known to them. And you get up there and preach the gospel to them and give them the word and, and pray with them and uh, bring them to Jesus Christ. You, you're, um, you're doing what the Scripture says here, entertaining strangers we have a, there's a, a flood of uh, young recruits this month and there's uh, uh, extra companies involved they're needing more help this month so uh, if some of you new guys haven't uh, haven't tried this out yet you ought to go down it's a little early uh, in the morning on Sunday you don't get to sleep in but uh, it's well worth it you go and and uh, get involved in that and and uh, be uh, used of God to, to bring someone to Christ or to pray with them or just to be an encouragement to some lonely Marine who's uh, stationed a long way from home and not knowing where he's going, uh, what a help it is uh, in entertaining strangers and doing that. Let me encourage you. You don't have to know, you know uh, all about the Bible to be a help to people that uh, need the Lord. You, you don't have to you know have a degree from a Bible college to be a help in that area. You need to... 
uh, see Brother Sai about that and, and go. You don't. There's no special training you got to go through or anything. You can go next week, you know. Uh, but let me encourage you guys to, to get involved in that ministry. And uh, we had enough guys. We could rotate and, you know, we could have guys uh, once a month go in with uh, others. And, and if we had enough people involved, it would be a great thing to, to have. That's what we're talking about. Those kinds of ministries are that very truth, entertaining uh, uh, strangers is, is a, an outreach to those that you don't know. And then he says angels unawares. You know, some of them entertain angels unaware. So um, Abraham did this. He didn't even realize they were such, but he did this with two angels and the Lord when they visited him in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 18 there and 19. He didn't know that they were angels, but he, you know, immediately fetched a, a, a calf from the, from the herd and, and dressed it and cooked it and uh, got his wife to cook up some uh, barley cakes or some kind of uh, bread, and they put together a meal for them, and he was ministering to these angels. So the, the reference that he says, for some have entertained angels unawares, is a reference back to Abraham entertaining these angels. He wasn't aware they were angels at first. They didn't recognize that it was the Lord at first, but his attitude was, I am going to minister to needs I see here. See, it's the same it's the same as what we've been talking about uh, in that. And it doesn't say you will, you know, come across angels unaware. It doesn't say that. It says some have, some have. I don't know whether you will or not. And I don't know whether I'd be any different from Abraham. An angel came by and I, you know, was involved in some way. And I didn't recognize it or not. I doubt it, you know. Uh, he didn't. So I don't think I have much better opportunity for it than Abraham and I'm not just sure how that thing operates, but uh, I am glad that the term angel means messenger and that the angel's work has, part of it has been getting this word of God to us. And so, uh, and I, I'm glad that, uh, you know, when you stand and declare the word of God or when you uh, teach the word of God or when you sh share the word of God with an unbeliever, you become like one of those angels. You become a messenger that God is using to get his message to somebody that needs that message. So, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you can be an angel in that sense. You can be a messenger of the Lord in that sense of the word. So uh, the key is not looking for angels. The key here is having a, an angelic spirit, having a serving spirit. An angelic spirit, you know, I'm not talking about just really nice, be a really nice person. It would be good if you could be a really nice person. Uh, but... That's not what I'm talking about. An angelic spirit is the spirit that says, I've got a message, the world needs a message, and I want to get it to as many people as I can. That's the angelic spirit we're talking about here. And that's what he's talking about here when he's uh, using that terminology, uh, these messengers. Um, and we have this message of the messengers here in our hands. So uh, so that's, that's the thing. Now, toward others, we're... We're told toward others to remember those that are suffering, that are in bonds or are suffering. Uh, how do we do that? How practically can we remember those of our brothers and sisters that are suffering? Well, the first way we remember them is to remember to pray for them. Remember to pray for them. And so that's one of the ways we do it. Uh, many of you got the uh, text today, the message, the, the prayer request today for Judy Scott's son and daughter-in-law in a head-on collision this morning. Uh, in the hospital and so forth, and uh, they're suffering right now. 
And so we, we, how do we remember our brothers and sisters that are suffering? Well, one, one of the best ways is we pray for them. We pray for them. And so when you hear those uh, kinds of requests or when you hear a prayer request for the needs of someone else that's uh, suffering a need, then you enter into that uh, by prayer. So that's the way we do that. We remember them uh, by praying. And then uh, the, another thing that we need to cultivate with each other is a is a spirit of compassion, an empathizing spirit, being able to enter in. Now, uh, there are those that are much more um, suited to that. I wouldn't say suited, much, much more uh, receptive to that spirit of compassion, and they understand it better than others. But all of us need to try to cultivate a spirit of compassion. Our tendency may be, you know, to just be uh, a little cold and indifferent about the sufferings of others, but we're not so much wanting that to be the way it is when we are suffering, do we? You know, I know when Cy is suffering there, he, he wanted everybody to feel sorry for him there when he had his knee operation, you know, cry like a girl, you know, and uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> just wanted everybody to feel sorry for him. And you know how uh, Chris is, she's real compassionate, oh, you poor boy, and you know. And I said, grow up, Cy, you know, be a man about this, you know. So I, I wasn't, you know, exercising the proper compassion for my brother there. I was praying for him, though. I did pray for my brother to get healed, and he healed up really well and did well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, 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 didn't, he let the doctors know he was suffering. So, <laughs> so and I'm, I'm facing that operation in the future, so I'll probably be crying the same as he was, you know, when my time comes. But, uh, but we have that opportunity to enter into someone else's uh, suffering and to have compassion for them and to do that. Uh, when I'm sick, Wendy's more compassionate for me than when she's sick, uh, you know, concerning my compassion for, he- for her. I, you know, generally say, well, take an aspirin and call me in the morning. And, uh, you know, so, but she, she helps me through those things. Uh, uh, I think men are the bigger babies um, for the most part when suffering. And men seem to be the bigger babies than sissies. Uh, for the most part when suffering, women uh, are capable of uh, uh, greater capacity in that area. But women seem to be generally have a greater capacity for compassion and care as well. But that's something that regardless of our, um, of our constitution and our makeup, we all ought to uh, cultivate in our own lives. So that's what he's uh, giving to us there, uh, to, uh, to empathize, to have compassion for, to pray for. Uh, that's how we enter into their suffering. Now, in verse 4, he talks about, in a practical sense, the physical relationships in life. Verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. He hasn't changed his mind on any of that. God hasn't changed his mind on any of that and said, Oh, I didn't realize the 21st century would would be different uh, than the, all, all the previous eras, and so uh, let's modify that, you know. He hasn't modified his word in that area at all. It's still one man for one woman, you know. It's still that way. Uh, in Genesis uh, 2 and verse 22, he says, In the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, uh, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And so that's the way God did it. He took the uh, rib of Adam and made a woman and brought her to the man. That's God's plan. A man, a woman, together in marriage. He married them. And the Bible says he called their name Adam. Called their name Adam. He, you know, the, the woman took the name of the man as a couple. Uh, and he called their name Adam. 
So that's the way that thing worked, you know. Uh, B.R. Lakin, the evangelist of old, uh, said this years ago. He said, you know, God furnished uh, through Adam the first spare parts for the first loudspeaker. And uh, so, uh, you know, I was, I was, of course, offended at that. And I, uh, I did speak up and I said, oh, that was mean of you, Mr. Lakin. And so I defended, I defended you ladies well with that. But, uh, but uh, I would never even have thought to say such a thing as that. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, that rib of uh, Adam, from that rib, God creates a woman. He brings the woman to the man and they, twain, become one flesh. In uh, Genesis 5, he says it this way, Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. That's the plan of God, you know. Marriage is honorable and all. Outside of that plan, we move outside of God's blessing and under God's judgment, you know. There's no way of getting around that, brothers and sisters. Uh, anyone that moves outside of God's plan for marriage moves outside of uh, God's purposes and outside of God's uh, opportunity to bless them. They move into an area of God's judgment. There is a reason for all the unhappiness and all the trouble uh, in the accepted conduct of this uh, promiscuous culture in which we live. There's a reason for the rate of suicide and the rate of uh, despair and despondency and, and uh, dark and dismal uh, hopelessness of the culture at large. There's a reason for it. It is, uh, it is not possible to enjoy the blessings of God when we move out from under the, uh, the, the plan of purposes of God in, in that area. So we have recently been hearing about this perverted individual by the name of Jeffrey Epstein who died in, a, in prison, who uh, apparently committed suicide. There's some question even as to that. But uh, uh, here, this individual it didn't start where he ended. He he began a downward cycle of perversions and greater perversions, never being satisfied with the degree of perverse activity, sexual activity that was involved in, almost making it worse to where that he was regularly practicing the rape of little children, of young girls, you know, how, uh, how terrible that um, you can't even imagine that anybody would get to that place, uh, had riches and wealth and power and influence and yet... Uh, uh, had to participate in these kinds of things until he comes to the terminus of his life in a gray, solitary cell and faces death without any hope. Uh, what, a, what a sad end for an individual that didn't intend it to all end up that way, but it did. He slipped outside of what God had ordained for relationships and just said, I don't need to concern myself with what, uh, what uh, God says about this. I'm my own God. So there it was. Uh, in physical relationships, we have the marriage being honorable and all and the bed undefiled. The physical relationship is not a, uh, a defiled one. It's, a, it's one blessed of God and honored of God if it's within the confines of God's plan. So we have that. Uh, then lastly, we have our personal conduct as we see it in verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. A life free from a covetous spirit. We need that. We need a life free from a covetous spirit. A covetous person can never find contentment. Epstein could never find contentment in his life because he's covetous. A covetous person can never be content. 
uh, it's, a, it's a terrible uh, trap to be in. Uh, our conduct ought to be guided by our contentment. That's what it should be. So how do we keep from a covetous spirit? How do we stay free of a covetous spirit? Here's some practical ways that Paul uh, suggests to us here, uh, not only here, but uh, through the scriptures we have these things in application. First of all, you need to look to what you have rather than to what you don't have, okay? Uh, to keep from a covetous spirit, look for what you have. Look at what you have rather than what you don't have. That's what the basis of the song Count Your Blessings is all about. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. So look at what you have rather than what you don't have. And then don't compare what you have to what somebody else has. I get a little envious when I look at Wilson's hair. You know, I do, and I'm admitting that sin, you know. Uh, he never has bumps on his head. He never has a bloody skull, you know, like I do. But uh, So I, I am, yeah, a little envious. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coveting his hair a little bit. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. And uh, I'm confessing that before the congregation here. I, I don't have to go to my priest and do that, you know. So, uh, But, yeah, that's the idea there. You know, we're looking at, oh, what he has or what they have or, you know, the car they drive or look at they, how they live. He's got a great job and I got this and, you know, uh, uh, you know, they got this neat family situation, and I have this, and, you know, they have that. And, uh, uh, and we're looking at what others have and, think, and comparing it to what we have and saying, no fair, no fair, God. Rather than doing that, let's, say, let's stop that altogether and just say, Lord, uh, help me to appreciate what I do have. I mean, you as Americans have more just being Americans than most of the world will ever experience, you know. Just being an American, you have opportunity, a boundless, uh, in spite of all the difficulties that gets put in the way with the government overreach uh, and the taxation and so forth, even in spite of all that, we have greater opportunities than anywhere else you can think of just about. I suppose there's some places in the world that, you know, have a comparable uh, sense of opportunity, but I don't know of any place. I mean, if there is a place, why isn't everybody trying to get there instead of get here, you know? Uh, there's a reason why everybody wants to be here, because they see things that you and I don't see. They see the remarkable opportunities that exist here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. They see that. And so we need to see that better than we do and recognize how much God has blessed us with. If you want to appreciate America more, just talk to some of our immigrant people and see how they appreciate what they've been given by coming to America and becoming an American citizen. They're... They're a lot more appreciative than you and I are who were born into it. You know, they're just so much more appreciative and constantly more appreciative. Um, you talk to them about that, and you'll soon realize, I have a lot to be contented with. So uh, that's, that's what we need to do in order to, uh, to uh, dispense with that covetous spirit that kind of creeps in. Don't compare what you have to what someone else has. And then another thing to do is practice thankfulness for what we have been given rather than bitterness for what we might lack. Practice thankfulness for what we have been given, rather than being a little bitter and upset about what we might lack. And so we need to do that. Uh, and then uh, number four, as far as practical uh, things, to stay free of a covetous spirit. Remember this truth, that Jesus said it right there. He said, look, here's the fact. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you, do you really need a whole lot else than that? You know, the promise that Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, will never leave you 
will forsake you. You just don't need a whole lot else than that, you know. Whether you live or whether you die, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Wow, that's all right. So we have all we need. We have all we need. We've got no reason for a covetous spirit. So the application of these practical truths brings us to the place where we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And God help us to remember that. Let's stand together, give an invitation. If you need to respond tonight and use the altar to pray uh, and thank God for what you have, do that. If you need to come and do business with the Lord, anything, why, you come. If you're here and you uh, haven't nailed down the, the, uh, the truth that you're a child of God and, and still struggling with that question, come and let us show you out of the Bible how to settle that and how to know.